Well, thank you so much, Joe. Would you come with me and introduce me everywhere? <laughs> what a blessing. Thank you. It's a joy to be with you again and to sense the joy in the place. Wonderful time of worship and glorifying Jesus together. Isn't it wonderful just to come and celebrate and enjoy his love? Lovely to renew contact with friends going back many years. So uh, thanks for being here. And I pray God will bless us. I have brought some books. It's something I tend to do. A guy called David Watson told me years ago, whenever I go and preach, I take a box of books. So uh, I'm doing that now. Uh, The Spirit-Filled Church, relevant to what we're talking about tonight, we will be talking about the individual receiving the Holy Spirit, which I believe will happen to some of us here tonight, individually receive the Spirit for the first time in the way that we'll go through Scripture about. But also God's purpose is a spirit-filled church, that we are enjoying his corporate presence. So this book's about all that. Uh, Then uh, God's Lavish Grace. uh, um, It's been translated into several different languages. I probably have more letters from people saying, this changed my life than anything else I've written. It's wonderful to see the grace of God. I know for me, when I saw it, I was a bit of a legalist before. I was trying hard to serve God, that kind of cloud of, am I doing enough, constantly over me. And then I saw grace. Wow. It was like getting born again again, and uh, a sense of freedom and peace and joy. So I commend that to you. And then during COVID, when I thought, what on earth am I going to do? I felt God said, write a book about Moses. So this is the most recent book, God's Treasure Possession. The story of that journey through the wilderness where so many things they experienced are ever so relevant to us. So I commend uh, those books to you on the book table over there. We've got a card system as well. If you don't have cash, people don't seem to carry cash so much these days. So you've very kindly sorted that out. Okay, so we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 initially. Acts chapter 1. I'll read just a few verses here, and that will set the scene. Acts chapter 1, and verse 4. Gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for, the, for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when, you'd, when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud receives him out of their sight. Holy Spirit, we depend on you to own your word. Come and be our teacher. Open the eyes of our heart and meet with us, we pray. Amen, Lord. Amen. Some people have said verse 8 is the kind of key to understanding the book of Acts. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And really, they say that because if you read the gospel stories, the disciples are not very impressive guys. They seem to continually get it wrong. Uh, They rush in when they shouldn't. They back off when they should stand. 
and they're just not impressive guys. And yet within a few chapters, they're being called guys who are turning the world upside down. How did that ever happen? How did these rather feeble, weak men, unlearned men, untrained, didn't come through the schools of the uh, priests and so on, had such huge impact? How could they do that? Well, here it is in this verse. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Something dynamic is going to happen. Don't start, Jesus said. Wait, wait until you receive power. Then you can do it. Then you can do the thing I've called you to do. But don't do it in your own weakness. Wait for that coming upon of power, something that God will do. Now, these are Jewish guys, so they've got that Old Testament. So they don't think, well, what on earth are you talking about? They're not thinking, what a strange concept. No, they know, they know. They know in the Old Testament, for instance, Gideon is a scared guy, one of the judges, and he's hiding in a cave, and, and God comes to him and says, you mighty man of valor. He says, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. I'm the least of my father's house, I'm rubbish. And God says, look, you're going to go. And it says, the spirit clothed Gideon. He became an incredibly powerful leader. He led the nation out of weakness and devastation into terrific victory. He was empowered by the Spirit. That's in the Old Testament. People's lives transformed when this power comes upon them. It said when, Damu- uh, uh, when Samuel anointed David with oil, the Spirit came on David from that time. He was transformed, empowered. It's something in the Old Testament that you'll see. Elijah is fulfilling this ministry, about to be received into the presence of God, and Elisha says, if I'm supposed to continue what you started, and it's clear that that is his role, I must have the same power that was on you. How can I continue what you started unless I have your power? And you can read about this story in 2 Kings where he's kind of pursuing Elijah. And Elijah's almost praying like, oh, just go away, go away. Go. No, 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 I must have. And then Elijah says to him, if you see me taken up into heaven, then you'll know that you've received. It's an interesting passage. They come to the Jordan. Elijah just hits it with his, his cloak and the Jordan opens and they walk through and he's still clinging to him and then he goes. And the word was, if you see me, go. And Elisha sees him go. They said, well, he said, if I saw him go, that's it. And there's no sense of he didn't lay hands on him. But he said, if you see, so I saw. So there's his cloak. And with faith, just with faith, he walks up to the Jordan with Elijah's cloak. It's like, well, here it is. Here we go. And just hits the river and it opens. And they say, the spirit of Elijah is on Elisha. He has been clothed with this power that Elisha, Elijah had first, then Elisha has. You'll find that Moses lays hands on Joshua. God told him to do it, that the spirit might come upon Joshua. At one point, Moses says, I'm exhausted with this. Two million people. Lord, help. How do I look after all this great big crowd? And God says, gather 70 leaders. So he gathers 70 leaders. And God says, I'll take some of the spirit that's on you, Moses, and put it on the 70. And you can read about that in the Old Testament. It's one of the chapters in here. And then they gather, and the spirit falls upon these 70, and they begin to prophesy. And they're empowered to do the job. So when Jesus said you should receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, it's not like, what on earth does he mean? 
The Bible's full of this thing, of the Spirit coming upon people, empowering, enabling, giving them ability to do what they could not do before. So here's this promise, you shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. It's something the Bible has. Now in the Old Testament, it tends to be for very special, unique people, like Joshua, like Gideon. It's judges, kings, prophets, special. Maybe one guy, only one guy in a generation. But then you get these prophecies coming. Isaiah says there'll come a day when the Spirit is poured out from on high, an age of the Spirit. What Paul calls in the New Testament the dispensation of the Spirit. It's like there's an age coming that we've never known when everyone will get filled with the Spirit. It's like, wow, I wonder what that will be like. Instead of just the isolated. And then Joel gives a very famous prophecy. In the last days, I will pour my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. There's going to come this time when this outpouring of the Spirit is going to be widespread. So the Bible is preparing for this. This age when the Spirit will be poured out, when each one shall know me from the least to the greatest. You'll have this anointing, you'll have this awareness of God being with you. It's God's purpose. And so we mustn't think that these are isolated Old Testament things. Now we're in the church, now we have committees. No, no, the Spirit has come. We're going to see something supernatural happen. So Jesus said this to these guys, and we know what happened. The day of Pentecost, they're praying, they're waiting after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and one day, suddenly, power falls. Power falls upon them. And these ordinary guys are transformed. 120 of them in a room waiting, men and women, they're filled with the Spirit. And they spill out. In fact, you can hardly see where it happened. It happens in a room, but then they're in the street, and they're preaching. And 3,000 get saved. It's like, wow, where did that come from? Power transforming people. Now, for myself, I know... As a young Christian, I was a terribly backslidden Christian. When I got saved, I didn't know there was a gospel. My parents were not believers. My sister went to London, came home a Christian, and she led me to Christ. I knew I was born again. I felt it happen. I was amazed. I I thought, wow, it's real. But I was a very bad Christian. And then I came back to God. One sermon came back to God, just changed my life. But I felt I need power. I didn't need power to backslide. I could do that on my own. But now, I want to live for God. And I felt this a terrible weakness. And as I began to read these things, I thought, well, Peter was changed. Peter denied the Lord. Peter said, I don't know him. I'm not with him. You remember the story? Three times, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. And then he cursed and swore and said, I don't know him. And then on the day of Pentecost, wow, what happened to him? And I remember thinking, is that possible? Can that happen? Is that, is that relevant to today? Now, this is going back a long time. I'm pretty old. So this is right back in the early 60s, before the charismatic movement had started. And I'm thinking, is there, is there another dimension? Is there something? I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. I want to be a witness. That was the thing that most of all, you shall be my witnesses. And that's where I felt particularly weak. I couldn't witness about Jesus. And I desperately wanted to be changed. And so I began to read and pray. And, and, and then you found there were different sort of schools of teaching. So there were good Bible teachers who said, no, 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 there's no more. 
Well, once you become a Christian, that's it, really. Don't go looking for other things. I actually went forward at a conference, and Edwin Orr, a great preacher, he preached about the Spirit. I went forward, and a Baptist pastor counseled me. He said, you're not looking for anything or more, are you? I said, yeah, I think I am, but he said, oh, you don't want to go there. It's like, that, that, don't get into that. That's foolishness. Just press on with Jesus, you know. But there's only, that's it. Once you're saved, and great men like John Stott, wonderful Bible teacher, said, no, that's it. There's nothing more. And that was that school, so he read that. And then I read Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher in the same generation. And he said, yes, there's more. Go after it. Go. I thought, oh, boy. If John Stott and Lloyd-Jones don't agree, there's no chance I'll work it out. <laughs> I nearly abandoned the whole thing. And then I got to a moment, I, my experience, I'll share it, I, I had a devastating moment where once I was in Brighton and um, I'd been to a morning service and then I had time to kill in the afternoon and there was an evening service. I'm walking along Brighton seafront and, uh, you know, and in summer, it's very crowded. Probably thousands of people walk along there on a summer, sunny afternoon and I'm walking along just waiting to go to the evening meeting and I think, what's that up ahead? I'm on the upper promenade, there's a lower promenade and I see this crowd, and I think, what's going on? And as I get closer, I see there's some very elderly ladies, and they're kind of singing, they're holding up banners about Jesus, and it's pretty embarrassing. And, and people are throwing cigarette packets and apple cores, and, and it's, oh, I said, Lord, this is so terrible. Why is it so terrible? And I felt God said, well, in the Bible, I called young men to do this. How about you? I thought, never, that's never going to do that. That's out of my world. And then just in front of me, two guys are talking to one another. And one turns to the other and says, look at those old fools. Why don't they keep their religion in their church? And they're standing there. And I felt God saying to me, well, you might not be called to preach in the open air, but here they are, they're right there, speak to them. And I couldn't, again, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I, I thought, oh, God. And I remember it really undid me. I went home. I got on my knees. Lord, you've got to solve this. And there was a guy I'd met in London who was a friend of a friend. I didn't know him very well, but I'd lunch with him sometimes. I used to work in London. Uh, every day I'd go up to town. And uh, I called him. I said, can I have lunch with you today? Yeah, sure. So uh, the thing with him was this. I, when I had lunch with him, if I arrive a bit late... He's always talking to someone about Jesus. You know, I, I used to think, wow, and I think I'm so embarrassed, but I wish, I thought, I'd love to be like you. And so I phoned him and said, can I see you? Yes. I said, what is it with you? And he said, oh, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, you, yes, yes, no, I, the Spirit, they laid hands on me. I said, I want that. So come to my church next Sunday. So I went to his church the next Sunday. I'll come back to that later on, but there was that moment when I got thirsty. Maybe you're thirsty. The Bible says, I'll, I'll pour water on him who's thirsty. Thirsty. If anyone's thirsty, Jesus says, come to me and drink. If you're thirsty. It doesn't say if, if you're special. Just as if you're thirsty. If you're thirsty. So what I want to do is look at the scriptures and see not what happened to the apostles themselves, because what's difficult with watching the apostles is this. They live through all these events. They're followers of Jesus before the cross. They're followers of Jesus before the resurrection. 
The followers of Jesus before the Spirit, after the Spirit, they live through the whole thing. So it's hard to build on what happened to them. What we can look at is what happened to people who received Christ after all these events. What happened to them? Because that's where we fit. We've come to Christ after all these things have happened. Let's see what happened. You see this. The Gospels all point forward. They all say, this is going to happen. The Spirit will come. You'll find it repeatedly in John's Gospel. The Spirit's coming. The Comforter's coming. It's all looking forward. The epistles, the letters, they're all looking back. So you look at Paul's letters, Peter's letters, John's, they're all looking back. They're all saying, it has happened. For instance, if you look at the epistles, no one ever tells you to get baptized in water. You won't find anywhere in the epistles that say, no, you should get baptized in water. Why? Well, it's already happened. They're Christians. All the epistles, they point back to things that have already happened to you. And you live in the light of them. So the Gospels are saying, this is going to happen. The Apostles say, that's already happened. So the book of Acts tells you what did happen. It's the only book that tells you how it actually happened. So we need to look there. So let me just remind you, I'm just going to take, <coughs> sorry, take you to three <coughs> sorry, passages. And when we've looked at those three passages, we'll look at some pointers. All right? So Acts chapter 8. Okay? We won't spend a lot of time just looking for some common features. Thank you, Sam. Acts chapter 8, you'll find that Philip, the evangelist, went down to Samaria and preached the gospel. He was, it says in verse 12, they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were being baptized, men and women alike. Okay, so this is a successful evangelistic event. He's preached the word. People are not just sticking their hand up, they're getting baptized. This is the real thing, they're Christians. And then it says in verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Spirit. Okay, so these in Samaria, they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, they received the word of God, they are Christian. The word gets back to Jerusalem where the apostles are, hey, the people are getting saved down there. And so they come down and find they haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. So they lay hands on and the Spirit falls upon them. Right, so that's the first uh, reference, okay? Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 9, we're just going to see a certain common ground. Acts 9, the most famous conversion in the New Testament. The conversion of the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. You remember Paul says, the God who commanded light to shine in the darkness shone into my heart, giving the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a creation statement, isn't it? God had created light. He shone into my heart. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. On the, on the Damascus Road, rather. On the Damascus Road, he had a revelation of Christ. Then, then, what we don't often notice, verse 17 of Acts 9, Ananias, who's 
an unknown disciple, okay? We don't meet him before or after. In Samaria, it was the apostles who came. Here in Acts 9, we don't know who Ananias was. He's just an obedient Christian. He came to Paul, and he says to him, Brother Saul, after he had laid hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, right, so he's a Christian brother now, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we, we often miss that last little phrase. And be filled. So Paul's conversion, three days earlier, if we read the whole passage, you'll find it was three days earlier. Then three days later, hands are laid on Paul, he receives the Holy Spirit. Now these are quite brief accounts, there's no reference to speaking in tongues. Although Paul later in Corinthians says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But he received the Holy Spirit when hands were laid on him, three days after his encounter with Jesus. Then the last one, Acts 19. Acts 19. Very, very interesting one. Now, just to say this, I think there's a pattern here which helps us. But let's also remember this. Jesus said, the wind blows where it will. Right, it's like the Holy Spirit. He's wind, he's fire, he's water. Those are all symbols of the Spirit. You can't always predict what he'll do. All right, so it's not like it has to happen like this, but here's a pattern that helps us understand. You may hear testimonies, well, God just overwhelmed me. You may hear all sorts of things because the Spirit will do things, but here's what happened to new Christians in the book of Acts. Acts 19, very important one. It says, Paul came to Corinth. Uh, Paul was at Corinth, and he came to Ephesus. He came to Ephesus, chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've never even heard there's a Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. John's baptism, what does that mean? Well, John the Baptist led an extraordinary time of national repentance. It says all Judea went out to hear John the Baptist confessing their sins. So that was an extraordinary phenomenon that many were followers of John the Baptist. Now, when um, Paul meets these people, he obviously thinks they're Christians. He found some disciples, it says. Usually when it says some disciples, it means Christians. But there were also disciples of the Pharisees and there were disciples of John the Baptist. And it turns out these are disciples of John the Baptist. In other words, they're not yet Christians. They've heard John's message. They've not yet heard the whole message, which becomes quite clear as the story goes on. He says, John, baptism with, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. Oh, so he tells them all about Jesus. Okay, this is also very abbreviated, obviously. He tells them about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, right? When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. All right, so now they've become full Christians. They weren't before. They're just followers of John the Baptist. They'd heard this message, get ready, prepare the way of the Lord, bring down the mountains, fill up the valleys, get ready, I'm preparing a people. It wasn't the full gospel as we understand it. 
Paul has now told them all about Jesus. When they learn about Jesus, they're now baptized in the name of Jesus. In other words, now they become Christians. Verse 6, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There are about 12 of them. That's what it says. So here people, yeah, they've been prepared by John's message, but Paul tells them about Jesus. They receive Christ. He baptizes them. And it's almost like they're still dripping with baptismal water. And he lays hands on them, and the Spirit falls upon them. And they speak in tongues and prophesy. Now, it's interesting. So if I go back to what I said earlier, that some would say, no, at conversion, that's it. You've received the Spirit at conversion, and there's nothing more. That's what some people would say. It's like, no, there's, don't, go, don't go reaching for more, because you've got it. You've got it. Well, Paul hadn't. The Samaritans hadn't. And sometimes if you say to them, these people, so are you saying then that you are full of the Holy Spirit then? The answer you'll often receive is, well, I'm not saying I'm full of the Spirit, but I'm saying I've got it, and I will gradually grow into a, a greater fullness as I press on. Christian growth, which is a you know, biblical doctrine, you're growing grace. You know, that's how, how it will happen. So if you, when Paul asked these guys, have you received the Spirit? They said, no. When Paul laid hands on them, and they're prophesying and speaking in tongues, if he then said to them, now have you received the Spirit? I don't think they'd have said, no, or we'll grow into that. I think they'd say, yes. <laughs> Wouldn't they? They'd, they'd received the Spirit. It's not a vague, well, it might happen. Some people have invented little phrases like the release of the Spirit. It's not in the Bible. You won't find it in the Bible. It's like you'll get released. It's not there. It says that they laid hands on them and the Spirit fell upon them. It fell upon them. And this it just happened on the day that they're saved. Now, the early apostles were told, wait. Did you notice that? Wait, don't start till you've received. Don't even begin. Wait. These people aren't told to wait. Directly Paul lays his hands on them and they receive. They've only just become Christian. They weren't told to wait. Why, why not? What's going on here? What's the difference? Well, can I take you to John's Gospel? And this is a key verse we'll begin to draw to a close with. John's Gospel, chapter 7. A key verse, I think, to understand why the apostles were told to wait and why from that day on, the day of Pentecost on, no one was ever told to wait. No one was told to wait. John 7, 37. You don't find when the, uh, the apostles came down to Samaria... They didn't say, oh, you haven't received the Spirit. You'd better go and wait somewhere. Like we did. Don't say that. They just lay hands on and the Holy Spirit comes on them. When Ananias comes to Paul, he says, you're going to be an apostle. You better find an upper room somewhere. Go and wait. No, he just lays hands on them. Here in Acts 19, these guys have just got saved. They're dripping with baptismal water. They lay hands on them. No one's told to wait. Why not? Jesus told these guys to wait. Well, let me just read what it says. John 7, 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone's thirsty, there it is again, thirsty, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, 
from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right? So Jesus says, he says, on the last day of the feast, was that when they remembered the journey through the wilderness, how God provided water for them, and they remembered that, big part, big festival celebrating that day. And on the last day, the, the high priest would pour out publicly water to celebrate that provision. And he says, Jesus, push through. He said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. But if you've gone to him and drink, he that believes in me and all that, he said, but the Spirit was not yet given. So if you said, yes, please, he'd say, not yet. But you said, no, not yet. Look, aren't I worthy? Nothing to do with you. I'm not yet glorified. It's to do with uh, when I'm glorified. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. It has to do with his being glorified. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter's preaching, he says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, of which we're witnesses. He now, exalted at the right hand of the Father, has poured forth this. That's what Peter preached that. It's like, he's glorified now, the Spirit has come. See, it's nothing to do with you, beloved. I've had the joy of laying hands on people over the years, and sometimes you go to lay hands with somebody, and they say, I don't think I'm worthy. Well, of course you're not. That happens. I don't think I'm worthy. Well, of course you are. How long are you going to wait till you're worthy? How worthy was Peter? Peter said, I don't know him. I'm not worth with him. How, Peter was a write-off. You don't have to be worthy. You don't have to be special. It's for failures. It's for people who think, I need help. It's not for people, oh, they're very special. I'm ripe for the Holy Spirit. That's for people who think, I can't do this. And so that whole idea, perhaps he won't give me because I'm not worthy, that's rubbish. You say, how long are we going to wait for you to be worthy? No, it's the gift of the Spirit given to people who feel, I need help. I need help. Otherwise, it would be like a general saying to his soldiers, go and fight. And if you do really well, next time you could all have guns. You know, it's like... <laughs> oh, you need the power before you go. But no one was told to wait after that. After the day of Pentecost, no one's told to wait. So the apostles come to these guys at Samaria, just lay hands on them. The Spirit comes. Beloved, that can happen tonight to you. It can happen to you tonight. We don't have to wait. There's no reason for waiting. If you are in Christ, if you've believed in him, your sins have been forgiven, you're ready. You're ready. We just come and receive. You come and drink, come and drink. All right? I just needed a drink. My son gave me a glass. Just take it. Just take it. All right? You come and receive. That's what happened to these guys. They come and receive because he's freely offering. If anyone's thirsty, come to me and take. Come and receive. I remember when we were, I was in the church in Brighton. We used to meet in Hove Town Hall. And at the end of one of the meetings there, I had the joy of leading a young student to Christ. And uh, she came forward and, uh, and uh, the joy of praying with her, she became a Christian. I thought, wow. And then she said this to me. She said, um, is there more? I said, that's an unusual question. Why do you ask? 
She said, there's power in this meeting. I thought, praise God. She said, there's power in this meeting. Is there more? I said, yes, there is, actually. And I arranged for her to come to our home the following Saturday. So she comes to the home the next Saturday. But she didn't come alone. She brought with her her roommate from college. And her roommate from college said to me, she said, Celia is so changed. She said she's become a Christian at your church last Sunday. Can I become a Christian? I said, of course, how wonderful. So I, I just take her through the scriptures and she receives Christ. It's wonderful. So Celia says, don't forget what I've come for. So, okay, yeah, okay. So we go through the teaching on receiving the Spirit. Great, she says. Right, can we pray? And then the other girl says, what about me? Well, she's been saved 20 minutes. Celia's been saved six days. She's been saved 20 minutes. I laid hands on both of them. They both received the Spirit. They're both singing in the Spirit. Went on their way very happy. Six days, 20 minutes. The promise is to you. The promise is to you. It's a promise. It's not for special Christians. It's for Christians. We can come and receive. We come and we take. We come and take. It's like, I'm not going to give water to you, but it's like you can breathe it in if you like. Just come and receive. Just come and, if it helps you to sort of breathe it in. If it helps you, just, 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 if that symbolic, symbolizes I'm receiving from you now. Just come and take and believe. Now, it says actually that they spoke in tongues. Let me just say a few words about speaking in tongues. Not because it's the most important thing in the world, but it's often in the passage. On day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues. In Acts 10, we've not looked at that story, Cornelius' home, the Spirit fell sovereignly on them. They all began speaking with tongues. You'll find it's often mentioned. What is that? Well, it's a language. It says in Corinthians... It's a language which you don't understand. That's what it says. My mind is unfruitful, is what the Bible says. In other words, I don't understand what I'm saying, but it's a language God supernaturally gives you. That you find I can speak a language I've never learned. Well, why would you do that? Well, it says my spirit is praying. My spirit is praying. It says I am speaking mysteries to God. And Paul says I do it more than any of you. I find it very helpful in my prayer life to speak in tongues. I find it very helpful. I do it quite a long time every day to speak in tongues. I find it enriches me. The spirit, when you pray in the Spirit, your spirit is edified. You're speaking to God. No, my brain doesn't understand what I'm saying, but my spirit is praying. It's interesting, isn't it? We tend to think I'm a body that has a spirit. But more accurately, probably, we should say we're a spirit that has a body. And when you get to my age, you realise, I won't have this body much longer, but my spirit will live on. My spirit's praying. My spirit's praying. It's not something to despise, but it's something we just do by faith. You see, no one's learned it. I can't teach you how to do it. Every time I do it, I mean, I've been doing it now for, I don't know, 50 plus years, every time I speak in tongues, it's a step of faith. I don't know whether I'm going to start with a vow. I don't know. I just commit myself to speech. I just do it. Every time. It's not like I learn how to do it. I never learned how to do it. So you just commit yourself to speech. And you find, whoo, I've got a language. 
every time I do it, 50 years later, it's still by faith. I don't know how to do it. I don't understand. But I'm speaking mysteries to God. And sometimes when you're doing it, it's like you feel the wind filling your sail. Sometimes your sail's just limply, and suddenly the wind's filling it, and you feel this energy. You feel, wow, I'm just going to go with this. I'm just going to go with this. So it's not to be despised, but just, you just do it. It's a bit like in the Old Testament when the woman ran out of oil, remember? Uh, and she spoke to Elisha. He said, I've got no oil, I'm in trouble. He said, collect as many vessels as you can. So they collect the best vessels. And then he says, pour what you've got in there. Now, it's interesting, that story, because it doesn't say she got it, she said, oil, go oil, go oil. No, no, no. She, she takes what she's got. I mean, she's got this little bit. She must have been tempted to think, what's the point of that? I'll have this little bit in that one, I'll be in that one instead. No, she just began to pour what she'd got. And as she poured what she'd got, oh my word, it keeps coming. It keeps coming. That's what tongues is like. The miracle is it keeps coming. I pour what I've got. It's a bit of a step of faith. And sometimes people are a bit frightened because they're oh, just the little bit I've got will go over. No, no. It's as you begin to do it, it starts coming and pour, it comes. And it, so when at the moment we pray for some of you, if you'd like to be prayed for, I would encourage you just to begin to speak. That's what happened to me. All right? So I told you about my friend. He said, come to my church next Sunday. So I went to his church the next Sunday. And they said, you're lucky. I'm like, why, why? We've got a big American preacher here this Sunday. Oh, wow. He'll lay hands on you. Oh, the big American. Great. So I was very excited. You're lucky you got the day. Could have, you know. So in comes the big guy. And there's probably a dozen of us sitting around in the room. And he starts laying hands on them. I think, here comes the guy. He's going to do it to me. All right? I'm choosing my words. He's going to do it to me. So he comes by. The big American guy. Lays his hands on me. <gasps> Guess what I felt? His hands on my head. <laughs> Nothing else. Just hand. And, then, ah. and then he leaves the room. Ah. I came to London for this. <laughs> hands on my head. He didn't do it for me. It doesn't say, find a preacher and he'll do it for you. It says, come to me and drink. Right? So the laying out of hands is perfectly biblical. There again and again and again. But what we're doing is we're coming to Jesus and we're drinking. Right? Come and drink. Come and take. Come and receive. I remember the night I got saved. My sister took me to Revelation 3. I'm standing at the door knocking. If you open the door, I'll come in. I just prayed it. I didn't think, I wonder if he will. Well, he said he would. So he did. And received Christ. I, I never questioned him. You know, he said he'd do it. So I didn't think, I wonder if he will. I know I got saved. I was a terrible pagan, but I got saved. I'll come into you. Come. I'll come to you. Come and drink. Come and receive. And then I would encourage you, begin to pour. It's a bit like Simon Peter. Simon Peter's on the boat. Jesus is walking on the water. And he says to Jesus, if it's you... Tell me to come to you. 
See, by this time, Peter is very impulsive. He's learned a thing or two. Tell me to come. So it's Peter's, it's Jesus' responsibility. And Jesus says, come. That's fascinating, come. So Peter, it doesn't say, well, here it goes. Oh, was that it? No, that wasn't it. Oh, what was that? No, that wasn't it. <coughs> come to me. Okay, then. So he uses his normal walking apparatus and steps into another dimension. When you speak in tongues, you use your normal speaking apparatus, your breathing, your vocal cords, your tongue, teeth, and lips. You do the normal stuff. What comes out is another language. Okay? It's just in the Bible. It's just in the Bible. When they prayed for me, and they said, well, you're speaking tongues now. Because this guy, the big American, left the room. Well, I'm devastated. I'm, What's going on? So my friends, who are like me, probably at 21, they said, well, let's pray for you. My novice friends. Oh, we'll pray for you. And they took me to the Bible verses, Bible verses. I just received, thank God, okay. So I start, I start speaking with tongues, all right? I just did it. And then I think, oh, I'm making that up. A lot of people go there. I'm making that up. So I stop. See, I'm, <laughs> I'm a fan of the Goon Show. I'm a jazz fan, making up silly words. I'm not going to, I've come here for God, not for foolishness. That's what I went through. I'm only saying this to try and serve you, all right? And they had to help me because I was a stupid guy. Now just go for it, just keep doing it. I needed that kind of encouragement. And so I just carried on. I carried on. And then my friend's fiance said to me, you're very clever making all this up. And we all laughed. And the tension went, and I carried on. And then they had to go to a service, and I went in the back of that rather large church. They were all sitting in the front. And far, right through that service, probably an hour and a half, I spoke in tongues all the way through. And I was back, and I put my hand on my face not to disturb anybody. But if you'd said you're making it up now, no, 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 I know this is God. I had to come through that barrier, mental barrier. It's not spiritual, really. It's psychological more. God will give the Spirit to those who ask. It's often accompanied by speaking in tongues, prophesying, God coming upon us. And it's an introduction into a dimension of the Spirit. There are many other gifts, healings, prophesyings, all sorts of gifts. It's like tongues introduces you into the supernatural dimension. So I encourage you, go for it, go for it. And find that God gives you, hey, I've poured out. Boy, it keeps coming, it keeps coming. Yeah, it does, it keeps coming. God will do that for us. For me, I, I, I fell with a spirit. I thought, oh my word, this is wonderful, it's so wonderful. And I, I came home to my Baptist church in Hove at the time. A wonderful pastor, very godly man, big church. And, and we used to go to a youth camp in the summer. And we were uh, over in Eastbourne. And uh, the program says Saturday afternoon we go for a walk. It's pouring with rain. So we don't go for a walk. So he says, let's have a spontaneous meeting. It's probably about 50 of us. The youth from the church are away. And we're like, we'll have a conversation. Right, let's, uh, uh, we'll just chip in. And then he suddenly pointed at me. He said, what's happened to you, Terry? I thought, oh, wow, what do I say? I've been to the Pentecostals. They lay hands on me. I speak in tongues. 
So I said it a little more carefully than that. I wanted to share so much, but I didn't want to make a mess. So I told them. And I, when I finished, it was like, silence. You could appear, hear a pin drop. And my pastor spoke up. He said, you must lay hands on all these young people. And he said, I'll come at the end of the queue. A godly, humble man. And in the next few weeks, I lay hands on all these young people. And we all got filled with the Holy Spirit. And we started going out on the streets. And we went down to Brighton. We went down to the promenade. And we stood on boxes and I preached the gospel in the open air. And we were singing and testifying and preaching. Wow, things have changed. Things have changed. The youth work came alive. The Holy Spirit had come to make things new. The Spirit came to set us free. Amen? Well, this all by way of introducing the idea that we be prayed for. If you'd like to, come and receive. Can we stand, please? Maybe the band could come up. If you could just play music <laughs> rather than a song. Understand? Father, thank you that you love us and you're for us. You want the best for us. Thank you for this incredibly free offer that you'll give the Spirit to those who ask. How wonderful. Lord, we just say, would you help us, each of us, tonight, that we might receive. So if, if you'd like to be prayed for this evening, would you like to just come out to the front here and there'll be those who'll be happy. We'll just explain a bit more and we'll pray for you, okay? So if you'd like to be prayed for, just slip out to the front here. Say, I'd love that. I've never had that. I would like to be filled. Please come and we'll pray for you. And with those who are going to pray for people, uh, some of you like small group leaders, elders, whatever, would you come? Those of you maybe would be involved in laying hands on people. Just let's come and receive. Let's come and receive. That's right. That's right. That's right. Just come. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs>